Hi, welcome to a new edition, the first of the new year of the OPC Foundation podcast, the home of industrial interoperability. My name is Peter Seberg and I am your host. Today, I will be talking to Aspen Kroak. I believe that's how you pronounce it. He will soon confirm that, who is the CEO of Predictor and uh, a, a long-time member of the OPC Foundation, specifically Market Advisory Council. Aspen, good morning. Good morning, Peter. So did I pronounce your family name correctly? It was not bad. So in Norway, we would say Aspen Krog. Yes. Very good. Thank you. So please introduce yourself. Tell us a bit more about your journey around OPC technologies and the OPC Foundation. Yes, I started in Predictor, my company in 1997. And at the time, I was very eager to get the company as a member of the OPC Foundation. So that happened and we became uh, Norway's first member. And of course, we started to develop OPC technology right away in the company. And, and also brought OPC to the maritime sector at the late 90s. We started to create some OPC courses to educate more of the Norwegian software, industrial software community. And we also started to uh, deliver manufacturing execution systems to solar cell manufacturers at the start of the year 2000s. And especially this when delivering solar solutions in complex setups like manufacturing execution systems, we came into the situation of experiencing the integration hell in many projects where a lot of different equipments, typically like some 200 equipment, need to be integrated and consumed by that manufacturing execution system. To get compliance was important for us, but then we also saw when OPC UA came with semantic IT capabilities, this could be even enhanced. Very good. Great to hear about your long-term commitment to OPC Foundation, the OPC technology. So I understand that, you know, coming from Maritime through solar or towards solar also, that you've been taken uh, on a new focus, the energy transition. Now, I assume that most of our listeners, when they hear about energy transition, they have something specific in their mind. I'll share one, two pieces later on uh, for myself. But So when you hear or when you say energy transition, what exactly does that mean for you? Good, Peter. Yeah, I believe many have different takes on that uh, specific word. I think it is an important topic now in our days. And, and for me, the, the energy transition is about building a completely new energy system. Mm-hmm. This is about the climate challenges. Oh. And I think this new energy system we need is tremendously new industrial build-out. It needs, many analysts say it needs to be something like 12 times bigger than today's renewable system. And we need to build it within 30 years. Mm-hmm. So the details of all this building is that we, we need to switch existing electricity production to renewable. So that is like going from 10 trillion kilowatt hours to 25. And then we need to electrify several domains like transport. So then we need more electricity. And the global population is coming out of poverty and will use more energy. And we also need to replace high energy density fuels uh, with hydrogen. And and last but not least, we also need to start capturing uh, carbon from the atmosphere and store it somewhere. So all of this then requires us to build a significantly bigger electricity provisioning system that we have today. 
Right, yeah, where where I'm based in, in Germany, you may know, listeners may have heard, depending, on, I guess, on where you're based in the world. We have a new government here since a couple of months now, including the Green Party. And we hear almost, you know, on the radio, on a, on a daily basis that over here, the amount of wind energy needs to become doubled until 2030 in order to get like about, I believe, 80% is the target of all energy renewable. And, you know, we heard your view and listeners have maybe a slightly different, but I mean, the direction is very clear. And then you talk about huge gigawatt numbers of energy. What do such numbers mean in practice? I mean, what is it that needs to be done? Can you give us an example or two, maybe? Yes, I believe. Uh, let's first talk about the specific numbers that some of these analyst companies are talking about. So we have, uh, for instance, uh, energy analyst company, Rista Energy. Mm. They have a 1.6 degree scenario, meaning to limit further warming to 1.6 degree. There's a scenario in terms of what we need to build within 30 years. Mm -hmm on specific technologies. So in this scenario, Raista talks to, says that we need to build yearly capacity of solar going from 200 gigawatt to 1,000 gigawatt by 2030. And we need to go from in wind from 60 gigawatt to 300 gigawatts by 2030. And we need to build a carbon capture and storage facility that needs to scale to something like three gigatons per year by 2050. And batteries needs to be a joint industry and also hydrogen production. But then a thousand gigawatt in solar capacity yearly built out and the same like 300 gigawatts yearly built of wind capacity. Mm -hmm. Like you say, what does that mean? These are sounds like big numbers. <laughs> and I can make a few examples. So we've been involved in a project, world's largest solar park. This is Benban Solar Park in Egypt. It was the largest and when it was built in 2019. It is not that far from the Aswan Dam and has a similar energy production capacity as that Aswan Dam. Okay. It's actually visible from space because it is like six times six kilometer in size and produces then almost two gigawatt. So in order to reach a thousand gigawatt per year, you need to put out 500 such assets every year by the end of this decade. <laughs> so that's, that's quite a big mm. build up of solar capacity. And another example would be um, another project we know is Dogger Bank. This is the world's largest offshore wind park currently under construction. I believe that the sea surface area this is covering is something like 400 times 400 kilometer. And when completed, this area has 277 wind turbines, each one the size of the Eiffel Tower. So Equinor ENI and SSE Renewables is building this wind park and uh, when finished, it will into 6 million UK homes and produce 5% of UK electricity demand. So at the end of this decade, we need to build almost 100 such parks every year. Mm. So I believe this is an enormous build out of renewable assets that we see going forward. The numbers you just shared with us and also the examples, uh, I haven't had the opportunity, but after we finish our podcast, I will so certainly be looking at, for example, the uh, you called it the Banan uh, Solar Park, also the Dogger Bank, just uh, because I have the interest in 
understanding where exactly that is on Earth. And the numbers that you are sharing with us, they are gigantic, right? I mean, and without wanting to be political, because, you know, of course, there's a certain direction. I think there's a huge common understanding. But again, we don't want to be political, but just more from a technical perspective, from how realistic is that? I mean, can can we really scale up such supply lines? I mean, are there funds available for such huge investments? Well, I've looked into part of details of this because this is a significant bet for my company. So it's important that we get the numbers right. Right. And and we've seen actually when you talk about a five-fold scaling of capacity in building out solar, this has happened 2004 to 2008 and 08 to 2014 and 2014 to 2021. So with the history and empirics, it could be likely that with from 2021 to 2030, we could do another 5x. And actually, when you look at the capacity already now in factories being built on the upstream for the solar wafer production, they already have the capacity in place to deliver what is needed for the 2024 and 2025 building in this scenario. So, But in terms of capital needed, we'll also look at this. I haven't analyzed this, but I lean on this uh, energy analyst, Reista, and they say that actually for the 1.6 degree scenario, that we, we only need the same type of investments and capital injection building energy assets as we've had the last five, six years on average, the next 30 years. But of course, those investments need to be channeled specifically to renewable assets and not new dirty assets. That's where we need the policymakers to assure this is happening. And I, I believe you all have seen a change the last year in this. We've seen a significant traction on political agendas, both in Europe and the United States with the new Biden administration and also in China. So I'm rather optimistic that this can happen, but of course, it will not be easy. And it, it sounds like an industrial deployment of plants at a scale that, you know, we've never seen before in history, right? And so before we move into what role OPCUA can play in here, what are the uh, strategic challenges? Well, you can think about all those new energy asset owners and operators uh, that are coming here. They, they are coming now into a situation where they deliver the electrons to the grid. So electron is a perfect commodity mm. and the competition will be fierce and very strong, very many coming into this market now. So this fierce competition, they find themselves in a situation where they need to optimize the assets as much as possible and they need to take down cost of the operations and they need to do this continuously. And what does this mean? Well, they, this means that they, there needs to be a lot of innovation happening and they need to bring this innovation into the operations of the plants. Like now we work with a couple of clients on concepts like drone inspection. So this is a new part and also hybrid renewable optimization. This is where you can optimize the combination, for instance, of, of hydropower and solar power. So good provide a more optimized output to the grid. In order to onboard these new innovations, they need to have a proper digitalization strategy. So that's, I think that's the most important thing they need to think about while going into this Klondike, assure they have a proper digitalization strategy. 
digitalization strategy. So as we've seen, again, as an example, you know, industry 4.0, or maybe even before then, we have been, you know, digitalizing our industries, you know, if it was manufacturing or energy and other industries for, I guess, you know, 10, 20 years. So what does digitalization specifically mean for energy? What what are the topics that should be the main focus and eventually what role can OPCUA play there? Yeah, so my my thinking about that, well, let again, let me again relate to, to some of our clients that we know well. So mm. take one of our clients, SkateTech, they have something like 40 assets, first with uh, solar utility scale solar parks, but also no more wind parks and hydropower dams. And they build this assets and parks all over the globe. And in order to keep the cost down, they need to choose local suppliers when they build this. So hence, they they will get a lot of different equipment types and different types of commissioning and setup activities. The digital surface, if you'd like, on across that portfolio is from uh, equipment supplier, rather messy or different from one asset to the other one. So Skatec has a concept where all those equipment suppliers and the data will be taken into a gateway solution on the asset so that it will be standardized with OPC UA and also standardized and reorganized within an information model standardized for that asset type. So then on the central location where they have central operations and looking into all the assets and they see the same information across the complete asset portfolio. And another example, a different type of um, renewable asset operator is Equinor. So this is the, the biggest company in the Nordics. And they have a mix of high margin and carbon heavy assets like the traditional oil and gas assets. But they also now invest significantly in renewable like the, the Dogged Bank offshore wind farm I, I mentioned. And they have chosen to use OPC UA across all those asset classes as a fundamental strategy to standardize across the asset portfolio. So do I hear you say that uh, both for the uh, Banban, so the, the one that you mentioned, world's largest solar park, but also for the, the Dogger Bank, the world's largest offshore wind farm under construction, uh, they are or will you both be using OPC UA? Yeah, so that's right. So, so actually, it's a key enabling technology for those companies using OPC UA standardizing on that across the portfolio. That's what we see with those clients. Important is also that these clients and the assets they have now, they are both pioneers in their areas where the assets they build. They use the same uh, specific information model for the asset class on each asset. And I believe we might be lucky to get the suggestion for them to try to make these standardized and, and provide them as candidates for standardization within OPC Foundation for those specific domains. I've had a, a podcast with Aquinor. That's a couple of months ago. For those listeners interested, you know, you may want to go back and listen to that podcast. But for you, tell us a bit about the, the relationship you have with these companies. So Aquinor, but also with uh, Scartex, Skatex. So how come you know so much about these assets? Yeah, so we, we got the relation with Aquinor Quite, I guess, some 10 years ago, Equinor started to get interest in OPC uh, UA and they joined our courses. And later we were invited to suggest specific usage in Equinor for OPC UA. 
And eventually we ended up now with delivering so-called OPC UA gateways to many of the Equinor assets. And we're doing the same also to Scatec, the company I mentioned. So they all have an infrastructure with OPC UA gateways and Scatec is also using an asset management system on top that we also deliver. Great. So we hear about probably the biggest transition. Uh, you know, the world is kind of proactively looking at and uh, and putting into place. And it's it's uh, amazing to hear what uh, key enabling uh, technology OPC UA will be playing in it as far as uh, as you are concerned. So do you have one final message to our listeners as far as exactly this uh, energy transition and OPC UA is concerned? Yeah, but I'm, I'm really happy that we can bring this topic into your podcast now, Peter, because I believe many of the new players now in the energy transition, they haven't been experiencing the challenges on non-standard asset portfolios yet, but they will soon experience that. So they should be aware of this OPC UA standard and actively pursue to use them when they build out their portfolios. That's what I hope. That sounds great and nothing to add from my side. Espen, thank you very much. Really impressive. I mean, the, the numbers are uh, huge. And many times, as I said, you know, in, in radio talks, on the internet, social media, within the areas that we are, I mean, and thank you very much for helping me and the listener extend their view that, you know, all of us normally have in our daily lives. And it's really very encouraging to to hear how OPC UA will be playing this uh, structural role in making the energy transition come true. If you, dear listener, want to learn more about OPC UA technology, maybe about the OPC Foundation, you may want to listen to the preceding OPC Foundation podcast editions. Uh, you can visit the website at opcfoundation.org. Maybe you have a proposal for topics or maybe you're interested in appearing on the OPC Foundation podcast. Uh, maybe you want to join one of the working groups. Maybe you want to become a member. Otherwise, please mail the OPC Foundation at office at opcfoundation.org. I'll put both the website URL and also the mail address in the podcast notes. Yeah, it was great to have you with us today. If you like what you heard, give us a thumbs up, spread the news. Looking forward to have you with us again. Aspen, thank you very much for having been my guest today. Thank you for having me, Peter. It was great.